We have NASA's Space Launch System and Orion spacecraft out on historic launch pad 39B. The launch window opens in less than 24 hours. That's very exciting to say. It's going to be humanity's first step in going back to the moon. <clears throat> Good morning, and thank you for joining us live here at Kennedy Space Center. I'm Megan Cruz with NASA Communications. Liftoff of this first uncrewed flight test is currently targeted for Monday, tomorrow, August 29th, with a two-hour launch window that opens at 8.33 a.m. Eastern Time. This briefing is to update you all on how the countdown is going so far. Our launch team got on console yesterday morning, and the countdown to launch started exactly at 10.23 a.m. Eastern Time. Here to take your questions are Jeff Spalding, Artemis One Senior NASA Test Director, and, and we have Melody Levin, Launch Weather Officer with the U.S. Space Force. Good morning. Good morning to you guys. All right, so let's kick things off with opening remarks. Jeff? All right, thank you very much. Well, this, I am very happy to be back here again uh, for the Artemis One Launch Countdown L-1 uh, Status Brief. Uh, we've had a really good day on our first day of the launch countdown. Uh, yesterday we picked up uh, the count right on time at uh, 9.53, and we started our clock at 10.23 in the morning. Uh, since that time, uh, we've been working uh, really hard. We got the vehicles powered up and have been doing testing throughout the day and, and evening to do, uh, as we've worked along. Uh, we did yesterday, you may have seen, we had some, uh, I would call them kind of spectacular, amazing events as we do every day here in Florida. Some lightning things happened. Um, we'll go ahead and I want to mention that up front. Uh, we did have some uh, strikes that we recorded um, on our tower, our lightning tower at the pad, working as it nominally should, um, and we did uh, have those. We've been evaluating those through yesterday and, uh, and through last night, um, and everything to date it looks very good from a vehicle perspective. We haven't had to do any significant retest. We have a, a, a threshold that we look at to see uh, what the magnitude of these strikes are, and we did not meet that criteria to have to do intensive or invasive uh, type of retest. So well, we did, were able to work all of that yesterday very cleanly with our team, uh, and uh, our management team did approve last night um, that as well. Uh, those occurred yesterday afternoon at about um, 13, 1, 1.14 or so in the afternoon. We had another a couple of events at 1.16. So, uh, so far, everything looks really good, and as I mentioned, we have uh, gone through and, and, and worked all of the uh, evaluations that are normally done when we do have these type of lightning events. Um, and hopefully we won't have any today, but we understand the weather. Um, we'll be talking about that here next, and we'll see what's gonna, what that's going to bring us. Um, we did do a little bit of retest, uh, which included uh, we did some canary circuit checks, which are really just those circuits are there to provide it, uh, if they've seen any type of voltage or things that might affect the vehicles. Those were all good. Uh, we did some walk downs, and then we did the analysis with our, uh, our system uh, experts um, as far as uh, of all the data and, and, and what those lightning events were. So uh, bottom line is we look really good, um, no issues, no concerns um, or constraints from the, the lightning events at this point. Um, let's see, so far I did mention we powered up yesterday. Um, later in the afternoon or last night we did power up the uh, RF systems on all of the vehicles, on Orion, on the core stage, on ICPS. Did those checkouts and tests, those all went really well. Uh, we finished those um, into the early hours of the morning this morning. Uh, we did also work our engine final preps on the core stage yesterday, got through all of those, and, and again, those finished uh, early last uh, this morning as well, at about 1 o'clock in the morning. We've done the battery charging on both Orion and the core stage. Those are complete. So uh, that's all going really well and all as planned and, and on schedule. Um, we, did, uh, uh, we are per currently pressurizing our helium uh, tanks on the core stage. 
and configuring some of the umbilicals. We've looked ahead at the weather. We know we're going to probably get some later this afternoon. Uh, we did have quite a bit of work planned on second shift tonight. We're pulling some of that in to try to get that, uh, those events going on some of the pad facility closeouts and, and some of the configurations that we do on uh, some water systems and elevators and some of those other things. So uh, we are trying to be very proactive, looking ahead and, and evaluating those things and, and adjusting as required, knowing that we might get some, uh, some weather as, as we have the last few days. Um, let's see, uh, we are going to continue uh, later today with some of the Orion checkouts on, uh, and some of the health checks that we do on those. Those are just standard and normal uh, that we do. Um, as we get into this tonight, we will be working towards cryo load. And uh, the first part of that is getting on GN2 and inerting the vehicle. We'll be working those preps uh, late, uh, later second shift tonight. Um, at about 9.45 or so, we'll be um, flowing GN2 to the, to the vehicle to inert it to get ready for uh, cryo load. Uh, later um, when we get back in um, after uh, we get done with that sorry um, we will clear the pad at about 8:30 tonight just in anticipation of the uh, safe and arm of device rotations uh, that we do which are normal plan things that we do before we get into cryo load um, and that'll happen at about 10:30, and then we'll uh, enter our two and a half hour built-in hold at 10:53 tonight um, I think we've talked a few times that we did extend that um, quite a while back from where it was um, previously, but it's two and a half hours starting then. Um, towards the end of that hole at 11.53 tonight, we're expecting to get a go from the launch director in MMT if everything looks good and they've evaluated all the criteria and, uh, and we are going to be go for cryo load. Uh, that's the timing that we would be looking for to, uh, to get that, and then we would start the cryo-load operations at that time with some of our valve configurations um, getting ready to flow cryos. Uh, we start on the liquid oxygen side, and then a little bit later, uh, about an hour and a half or so, we start on the hydrogen side on the core stage and work through that. Once core stage is done, then we fill the upper stage um, as well uh, throughout the night. Um, we do have the pre-press test, test excuse me, scheduled for about 5.40 a.m. Uh, that test shouldn't take us too long. I think it's been talked a couple of times, um, but it's uh, a test that uh, actually is um, we do during the terminal part account, and we're just going to do it a little bit early just to get some and evaluate the data there and the, the performance of the valve, um, the valving as well, so we can kind of pre-select the positions of some of those valves as we get into terminal count. So that will help us out a little bit there. Um, we have some uh, final guidance system aligns that we'll be working as we're doing tanking as well. We power up the range safety systems and do some final checkouts about two hours or so prior to launch. Uh, we'll work all through those um, as per our normal timelines. Um, we do also have uh, some of our uh, final vehicle and ground configs that we'll do once we get to the hold. There's a hold at T minus 10 minutes. It's 30 minutes long. Uh, that picks up at about 7.53. Um, we do anticipate the opening of the window and hitting that at 8.33 a.m. We have a two-hour window on our first day. Um, if for some reason we do have to use subsequent days, the plan, our nominal plan is to go on the 5th. Uh, the opening of that window is at 12.48 local time. And, excuse me, the second is the first opportunity, sorry. It's four-day tur um, turnaround, and then the next opportunity will be on the 5th um, at 17.12, which is 5.12 in the afternoon. So um, that's kind of where we are. It's been a really good uh, first day of the launch countdown. We're within 24 hours of launch right now, which is pretty amazing for where we've been on this journey. So uh, our team right now is, uh, I will say, super excited, and we are um, prepared for, for anything I think that throws at us to the four WDRs we've done in the past really, I think, have prepared us uh, for the moment we're at now for, for virtually any situation that can come up. Um, but we are excited. The vehicle's going to be ready. It's ready right now. looks great uh, to proceed with this uh, inaugural launch of the, uh, the Artemis program.
Thank you. Thank you. Sounds like we're in a good spot. Thank you for that update. All right, Melody, how's the weather? <laughs> well, the weather's pretty decent this morning, but of course I will talk about the forecast for launch a little bit later. First, I'm going to talk about today. So let's go ahead and toss it off to the satellite imagery. And uh, as we look at satellite this morning, you can see some remnant showers and a leftover thunderstorm or two from last night's activity that rolled through late in the day. Um, also, as we creep forward in time, as we get to around 10 or 11 o'clock this morning, just like yesterday, we'll start to see some of those showers and uh, possible thunderstorms forming along the East Coast. Something different has changed today, which we were expecting. We do have southeasterly flow in place this morning, and that will remain the case for tomorrow morning's launch attempt as well. Uh, so one thing with that will benefit us today is even though we're likely going to get rain, just like we almost always do in the Space Coast in, in August and September. Uh, the East Coast sea breeze will creep farther across the interior central portion of the state and uh, hopefully will give us a large block of time of clearing this afternoon. We may be examining the chance for some late night showers and maybe a thunderstorm or two somewhere across interior Florida, but most of the convective activity should be done for when we're looking to uh, tank later on tonight. And uh, with that, we'll go ahead and move on to the launch forecast for tomorrow morning. It's a pretty similar outlook from what I had yesterday, but I'm kind of slicing and dicing it for you. Uh, basically, the beginning of the launch window or just after 8.30 in the morning has a 80% chance of favorable weather. As we creep forward in time through the two-hour launch window, uh, we just have a better chance of some of those offshore showers and maybe a thunderstorm or two creeping closer to the coastline. And also because across uh, the spaceport, we're likely to have some billowing clouds form as we get into uh, 10 o'clock and the 11 o'clock frame in the late morning hours. So uh, as usual, or just, just like yesterday, I do not have a backup forecast for you because that is uh, a five-day forecast now. I will have those estimates for you uh, tomorrow if they are needed for the backup launch window. Um, the one thing to note, though, is uh, the forecast is largely going to depend on the evolution of the tropics and also uh, the time of day is going to be a contributing factor. Um, the time of day for the backup launch window is around uh, noon to 2 p.m.-ish time frame when, in general, you can expect a higher probability of violation for weather just because we're likely to have those showers and storms forming along the coastline during that time frame. So with that, I think that concludes my brief. I'll toss it back. Thank you so much. Thanks for that refined look at the at the launch window. Uh, so we'll take questions now. You know the drill in the room. Raise your hands and we'll try to get a mic to you. And then we also have some people on the phone. Uh, hit star one to get yourself into the question queue. Okay. So we'll start with Marsha over there. Marsha done AP for Jeff. Um, so there was no uh, residual effects impact to even any of the ground equipment from the lightning strikes. And when you first saw the video or pictures of that, like were you also worried that, you know, this is it, there goes our try. And and lastly, brand new rocket, what, what's your take on whether it's really going to take off tomorrow? <laughs> whether, on, you know, aside. <laughs> All right, <laughs> a lot of questions. Um, 
So uh, we, we have tested a lot of, including our ground systems. We went back and, and looked at those, and we have also walked them down, um, as we do when there are lightning strikes at, and we get to certain levels, just to make sure there's nothing um, beyond what we can see via the data um, that we may have missed. And so that's what we have done. And the systems went out and did that yesterday during the day as well on top of that. We haven't seen anything on the ground systems that gives us any concern, nor on any of the vehicle um, so, as well. Um, I would say whenever we see things that are as dramatic as lightning, right, we all uh, we pay a lot of attention to it, as we should. And so we that just, for us, kicks us off into the next um, mode for us to go and evaluate what happened. We just, I, I'd say we've seen it enough through the, uh, the processing flows that we just do, and, and are not that we're comfortable with it, but that we are definitely um, well rehearsed at the process by which we go and collect the data, look at the data, see what we need to do from a vehicle and ground system perspective, and then move on from there, and then evaluate whether we have to do more after we've done all of those initial uh, data collects. And that's where we got to yesterday and got through all of the initial parts, and then we looked good at that point. So, and I would say um, my thoughts are that we look great for tomorrow. Um, love the fact that the weather looks really like it's going to cooperate in the beginning of the window, and, and our job is to get to the beginning of the window, and that's what I'm going to try to get the team to do. Thank you. Irene. Irene Klotz with Aviation Week. Um, yesterday we were briefed about some uh, communications reconfigurations that needed to be retested in Orion. Um, what was the status of that, and what was changed, and why was it changed? Um, there were a couple of uh, different parameters that when uh, the, our JSC flight control team, uh, when we do our comm checkouts and those types of things, they have a command window in which they upload um, parameters that we need for, for guidance and, and a whole lot of other things that um, during that time frame. Uh, there were a couple of items that we saw late on the comm system that needed to be changed and that it just goes in as part of that upload to the vehicle that occurred. And so I would say it's, it's in the normal process for us to be able to do that and that's what they were able to do as well. Um, we can probably get some more specific data about the data parameters themselves if you, if you need that. But what we can say is that we did complete that part of it and right now everything looks good. Uh, there's no issues with that right now. No, no, I meant in general, beyond the comms text. Uh, the only thing that we're looking at this morning um, is, um, and, and we're not even out of, uh, out of spec, is on our um, helium provider that's at the CCF. Uh, last night, the, uh, the helium supply pressures were a little bit low, so they have a vendor coming out to look at that. Um, they think they may have a small leak. Um, again, it's within the band that we need to support us for launch, but they want to make sure that we're in the best configuration we can be for that system, since we do use a, a fair amount of helium on, the, on this rocket. And so that's one of the things we're looking at this morning to see if there's something that needs to be done. And those folks will be on, actually should be on station now. Over there. Hi, good morning. Tom Costello with NBC News. Uh, two quick questions. Jeff, I heard you say a few, and then I counted, was it two lightning strikes or more than two that you had on the... There was five events that were evaluated um, that uh, got to the threshold that we needed to go and look at and evaluate them. Uh, they happen in fairly rapid succession sometimes, these events that occur. Um, and when, these are, when the events are, we have uh, monitoring devices at the pad um, on the ML and the pad itself that collect data, and then we go back and evaluate those data. There was five of those um, items that we looked at 
to evaluate whether it was going to be a concern from the vehicle as far as the magnitude or anything else, uh, to that effect. And that only got us to the criteria to go and take a look at the systems that we did, and it was not at such a magnitude that we needed to go and do anything beyond that. There was no, it was uh, well within or, or not, had not even come close to the exceedance of a, what those requirements were. Two more very quick ones. Number sure. one, do you anticipate that the helium, the tiny, small helium leak could become a showstopper? That's number one. Number two, uh, you cannot, am I correct that you don't tolerate rain at all for a launch? You would not launch with rain at all. Is that correct? So there is a fly-through rain constraint. I'll, Melody could probably speak to it better than, than I since they're responsible for, uh, for those LCCs as well. Um, but, and I'll let her answer when I'm done. And then the first one was on the helium. Um, right now, again, we're within tolerance on being able to support us for launch. This would be to get us even more uh, tolerance on that as well. So we're, we're looking at it. I don't expect it to be, um, if anything, they might go in and retorque um, a flange or something like that. I don't, but beyond that, no idea if we're going to have to do anything else. We have one question here, and then we'll go to Bill. I'm, I'm Rebecca Morell from BBC News. Um, a few quick questions. Um, the first is, how many seconds before launch do the four RS-25 engines ignite? For the shuttle, it was about five or six seconds before. Yeah. Um, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Several uh, questions. <laughs> just the second one. It's, it's down to the seconds again, actually. Um, if you do go at the start of the launch window... Are you aiming for 8.33 exactly, or would it be like 8.33 and 15 seconds or 40 seconds or, you know, it just how, how exact is that number if it goes yeah, there? Yeah, those are great questions. So, <laughs> so the engines start, and it's a staggered start on the engines, um, about every 200 milliseconds um, in between the, the start times on the engines. Um, but it, it's about 6.8 seconds when we'll be starting the engines up. And then the timing for our, the opening of the window and our T0 time that we'll be shooting for in the beginning is exactly at 8.33.00. Okay, Bill. First of all, if you were going to say something about the weather constraint or... Um, for the fly-through constraint, um, that is true. We, there is a constraint we can't fly through, um, something we consider precipitation, which if you're a meteorologist, um, we consider that 18 dBZ on the radar. Um, the, the thing about it, though, is we have to be flying directly through it. There's not really a standoff distance for that. Um, so because of that, it does buy us um, a decent amount of real estate on the radar as far as finding the hole in the clouds for us to launch through. So it and also, um, a lot of times, <clears throat> it has to be right over the pad because when we launch, we launch and we go up, right? And we oftentimes fly over these low clouds that have rain. Um, so hopefully that answers your question. Bottom line is, it's not 100% cool. You can have a little rain. You can't fly through any rain. You can't fly through any rain. Okay. Correct. Good. Yes. Uh, Bill Harwood, CBS News. Um, uh, Jeff, well, two quick ones for me. Um, for the record, the helium is on the ground side, I'm assuming. Yes. It's not in the COPs. It's on the supply or... side, on the facility side. Yeah. Um, you know, you've done a lot of shuttle countdowns back in the day, and this is a, this is a very similar uh, countdown from shuttle, except, you know, the quantities are different, things like that. What are the two or three things you're looking forward to? Uh, and I won't use the word concern, but what are the things, if you had to rank things, that you really want to get past this milestone, that milestone? What are you looking for uh, tonight when you're on console? So, so, okay, the, the first things I look at are the things that Melody is concerned about weather, right? Because that get, gets us either, we can either get into tanking or not. I think, I feel really good about tonight, us getting into tanking and getting through that. Um, the only things that we're looking at really during the count is we've had hydrogen leaks, you know, in some of the wet dress rehearsals. We've done our best 
to mitigate all of the concerns with those, with a lot of changes to the um, the boots and to the lines and to this and to a lot of different things. We've changed some of our um, evaluation criteria to give us more flexibility on what we can do. So that part gives us a little bit of. Uh, um, something that we look at and that as, as we go through and that we kind of evaluate. And then the rest of it is just everything else, right? We need to be on time. It, it's been difficult for a number of reasons as we've run through the, uh, the wet dress rehearsals to get through all of the work with the constraints. The great thing is we have done an outstanding job addressing each and every one of those things that have caused us concern or delayed us for the reasons that we've had through those countdowns. And so we've got a lot of practice behind us. We've put those things behind us and addressed each and every one. So going into this, I feel like we are in the best possible configuration we could be to get to launch on launch day. So I feel that part I feel really good about. All right, we're going to go to two on the phone. We have Stephen Clark, Space Flight Now. Hi, thank you. Stephen Clark, Space Flight Now. Uh, what are, if any, what are the weather constraints for proceeding into cryogenic tanking tonight? The constraints for tanking tonight are uh, mostly a temperature constraint um, that would, we wouldn't even approach it because it's very cold. And uh, also we have to have less than a 20% chance of lightning to tank. Um, and that's a determination that um, my tanking LO Mark Berger would make tonight. Thank you, Stephen. We also have Arik Malek, Space.com, on the phone. Uh, yes, hello. This is uh, Tarek Malek with Space.com. And I think my question is for Jeff. Um, this is the first flight of a new rocket. Uh, I'm just wondering if there's um, anything special you're planning to tell the team before you really get into the, the, the final phase of the countdown or a little commemoration. Uh, you know, how, how, how do you plan to kick things off tonight? Thanks. This is a special, it will be a special day tomorrow. It is every day, really, for, uh, for Artemis, as we've been able to get into the launch countdown. Um, our team has been excited for a really long time about what they're doing and, and what, the way in which they're supporting this program and, and our ability to get back to the moon and put people on the moon. And so I get to work with a lot of folks that are uh, a lot younger than me these days. I've been around for a while. Um, and to see their faces and to hear the their voices and the excitement that they have each and every day. Because we ask a lot of folks, as, as a lot of the programs do, um, to get us to this point. And they've done an outstanding job. We, we'll talk to them a little bit. I know when I come on console, I'm going to walk around the firing room and, and talk to folks um, a little bit and, uh, and, and share some of our, uh, our stories that we can as we, before we get, I get on console and we get into the terminal part without disrupting them, obviously, too much from what they're doing. Um, I, I would expect that uh, we'll probably have some words towards the end as we're getting ready for the poll or coming out of that as well, so there might be some words there. But I don't have to do anything to, to get this team motivated or to get them prepared. They have uh, done an outstanding job getting themselves in that position, and, and we're ready to go. Here in the front row. Oh, great. Thank you. Ken Kramer, Space Up Close. Thanks for doing all this. My question is for Jeff. Um, going back to the, the lightning uh, protection system, so this was a moderate weak strike. What if it had been strong, like the really strongest strike that this could withstand? Would, would you have had enough time to, to evaluate the system, or would that have caused a delay? And I'm also wondering if you're thinking about any upgrades to the lightning protection system uh, after this launch. Thanks. So uh, the lightning evaluation process 
if we meet our threshold criteria involves certain levels of retest. We, we have a panel that makes recommendations on that based on the criteria that's been developed and then those come forward to management. Uh, some of those take quite a bit of time. We can get the times for you. It would have been um, a challenge. We may not have had to do all of them. Again, it, it is very dependent upon the size, the magnitude, and, and all the other things that we would have seen on our triggers as to what we may or may not have had to do. So it, it's really difficult to say whether there would have been a delay. Clearly, um, the system worked as designed, and, uh, and so did the processes to do the evaluation, gather the data, and make a concerted effort to, uh, to make a decision, which we got to yesterday, and then last night, the management decision to accept the data that we saw and the retest that, or the evaluations that we did yesterday with the, the canary circuits and some of the other things that we did on the vehicle. So I think that part worked. Um, I can't speak to the, uh, the Lightning Tower designs because I'm not sure where we are with those. Um, they're, again, they're working pretty well as they have thus far. I don't seem to think that we would need anything, but I, I can't speak to that. I need to get somebody else to answer that for you. We'll go to Jim, and then we have these two in the front row after. Uh, hi, I'm Jim Siegel. I'm with uh, nasatech.net, and I have a question about um, uh, commercial and military aircraft that might be in the air about the time of the of the launch. So I assume that there's some sort of requirement for commercial aircraft uh, not being in the air or in the area, uh, and I wondered what what exactly that criteria was. I also wondered whether any NASA or any military aircraft are going to be uh, around to, uh, to witness this, uh, this uh, launch as it happens. Thank you. So we do work with the FAA to provide airspace clears during the times of launch. Uh, no different than any other uh, vehicle coming off of the range has to do for their launches as well. So that happens, in, and we've been working with them for an extended period of time. Um, military, et cetera, all we have uh, notice to airmen and, and other things for all types of aircraft that may or may not be in the area. So we work very closely with them, do the same thing for the waters as well. Um, I probably won't go into what the, the clear space and some of those things are from just from a, a, a security posture, but but we do have all of those things lined up um, and to support us. We will have uh, an aircraft in the air that does um, that has a filming analysis that they do. Our WB-57 is airborne, and they'll be out there. We have another aircraft that's going to be doing some shadowing uh, data gathering as well that's up there. So all the aircraft that are in the air are approved and uh, and part of our ops plan for the for the aircraft. And those are the ones that are allowed into the airspace. The rest of it's controlled. Thank you. Hi, Denise Vickers from WUFT at the University of Florida in Gainesville. Um, uh, my question is for Melody. Uh, specifically for people who aren't at the Cape, how far can we anticipate um, people can see Artemis lifting off? For example, will our uh, listeners and readers and viewers in Gainesville be able to see a fireball? Um, so give me some sort of sense of how far across the state we'll be able to see it. I'm not sure exactly. But I will say, you will see more of a fireball with this one than you would see with any of the recent launches that we've had, um, because shuttle, you could see it very far away. Um, it is a daytime launch, not a nighttime launch. And of course, at night, the, the light travels a little bit farther, you know, in the darkness. So um, I think you'll probably be able to see it from there. I, I have friends in Tampa that usually can see um, something in general. So with this, I think you'd have a better shot in Gainesville. 
Hi, Jacob Sedesi, also from WUFT News. Um, so obviously you all have been talking about all these uh, pre-flight preparations that have been going on in this last countdown to launch. Um, how different is that process going to be when there are actually people on board? Is this process that you're going through right now going to be pretty similar to what it's going to be like when the craft is actually manned? Or um, is it going to be a little bit different? Is, a, is it a little bit looser than it would be? So uh, the differences um, will primarily be related to the crew activities um, as they were coming out. The, the process for preparing the pad for launch is the same. The process preparing the vehicle for launch is the same. Our uh, loading of the cryogenics will all be the same from that perspective. The only difference, which isn't related to the crew, is the fact that we will have a new sphere, and one of the, the larger sphere for the, the next launch that gives us more capability, storage capability for hydrogen um, f to allow us to have a 24-hour turnaround. That's different, so we will have a little bit different loading process. Um, not sure if that's going to extend or not, the timing for that. We'll, we'll do that because we will do a test to verify that. Um, the crew time will add about two hours is our estimate at this point because we don't have the crew yet and, and all the systems uh, figured out from an ops perspective on how long it's going to take to do that. But it's about two additional hours on the countdowns, meaning the tanking would start earlier by about two hours or so based on what we know today. I'm going to go to one on the phone and then I am tracking three in the room here. So the one on the phone is Marvin Marshall from the Nighttime News Space Report. Hi, my name is Marvin Marshall from Nighttime News Space Report here on Twitch.tv. Uh, I appreciate you guys taking my question. My question is for Melody. At what time, Eastern time, will you be pretty certain, uh, you know, to, to call a go on, on launch today uh, for those, you know, couple primary weather constraints that you're worried about? Thank you. It's really going to depend on the evolution of the shower coverage offshore. Um, I think around 5 a.m. will be the pivotal time because we'll, we'll really see what we're dealing with. Usually around that time frame, we see the max of the offshore land breezes colliding, um, and, and we'll be able to see what kind of showers we already have out there, and we'll be able to track um, them moving towards the space coast during that time frame. Um, of course, if we push later into the window, we'll have to adjust that time frame a little bit, but 5 a.m. will probably be a pivotal time for us. Thank you, Marvin. All right, over here in the room. Hi, uh, Lucie Aubourg for AFP News Agency. I just want to double check something from the briefing uh, yesterday that uh, Charlie said. If tanking doesn't happen uh, for the launch window on the second, she said launch could happen on the third. I'm just wondering um, if tonight the tanking for weather concerns uh, doesn't happen, could the launch be tomorrow? So, so, yeah, well, I, I think you mean on, uh, on the 30th, if we could jump a day. Um, so right now we don't have um, launch uh, opportunities on the 30th, the 1st, uh, the, the 30th, the 31st, and the 1st. So our next opportunity would be the 2nd. Um, so and if you need more clarification on the other, let me know. But I think we're good. I'm John Bisney with the University of Florida Press. Uh, maybe a question for Megan. Can you tell us uh, where the vice president will be watching the launch from, and would you expect her to speak to the team after the fire in the firing room if you have a successful launch? Uh, yes, uh, I believe the vice president will be watching from nearby here at the press site, and then I think the plan is to hopefully have her speak uh, at the LCC, and we'll try to bring that to you live on the launch broadcast. Okay, and then over here in the front row. Oh. Over here. 
Uh, hi, Eric Berger with uh, Ars Technica. Two questions weather-related. First of all, I think for Jeff, this is a test flight, obviously. Are there different weather constraints for this mission than you would have down the line? Are you going to be able to sort of close the windows of constraints on launch as you sort of get more experience flying the system? And then maybe for Melody, uh, you know, talking about those launch windows later on where you get in the afternoon, evening, and you get those Florida storms, like if you were launching today at 1248, or excuse me, tomorrow at 1248 instead of 8.33, would the confidence be like 40, 50% of favorable conditions? Or And I know you can't give a precise answer, but maybe just talk a little bit about that. Thank you. I defer most of that question to Melody, but um, our launch criteria for weather is pretty much the same for when, whenever we're going to launch. And, and so it'll be pretty standard for, it, there's not a lot of changes that will be um, initiated based on you know different dates or times in which we we would uh, launch. So there, I don't know if you wanted to add anything to the LCC part. But. Yeah, that is correct. Um, I think mostly our weather constraints will be the same. Um, the one thing that would not be included in the POV, the probability of violation, um, that we would just also be tracking is maybe just watching more recovery weather, um, the marine environment, in case the astronauts need to for some reason abort or anything like that. Um, and could you repeat the second part of your question? Oh, the, the timing of the day. Um, yeah, I think 40 to 50, for, probably a conservative 40 to 60 would probably be um, a good estimate. During that time frame, especially with this weak flow that we have, um, you've, we've seen a lot of showers pop up during that time frame, but they don't move inland very fast. Um, and of course, that's due to the weak flow. So it really depends on exactly where the showers are forming. And it's really not also just about showers. It's about how tall the clouds are before they even produce the precipitation. So um, in general, yeah, that it would be that mid-grade uh, probability of violation during that time. Another question in the back of the room there. Thanks, um, and good morning. Dan Schaefer with Way 31 in Huntsville, Alabama. Just a couple of questions for Melody. If you could be more specific about how you're going to be monitoring the weather up to uh, launch time. Uh, is it just radar satellite, or are you sending balloons up a lot, and how often, and are there planes flying up, and how are you monitoring all the, the winds and things? And also, taking a look at the weather this morning and the cloud cover, would this violate launch criteria as it sits? Great question. So we have a lot, uh, we have many different ways of tracking the weather. Pretty much everything you listed is the way we're tracking the weather. We have our own radar. We also have, we also utilize this National Weather Service Melbourne's backup radar, as well as all the other National Weather Service radars um, nearby across the state um, to monitor the, the showers and the, the clouds that are forming. Our radar specifically is tuned to uh, locate where the cloud edges are, whereas weather service is more tuned to a different things, severe weather. Um, but yes, we're, we're also sending up balloons. We also have something called uh, T-DRIP, and uh, we also have the 915 megahertz radars that are sensing the low-level uh, boundary movement of the winds. Um, we have a NASA-supplied jet that we can fly out to any concerning clouds uh, to see exactly where the cloud edges are to, in case we're wondering if they're violating or going to violate. So, uh, And we also have a Merlin lightning system that we use to track any cloud to cloud or cloud to ground lightning um, that is occurring. So we have, we have all the tools uh, to watch that kind of situation. And uh, could you remind me of the second part of your question? Right now, yes. could you launch with this kind of cloud cover? 
Um, I'd have to look at it specifically, but I believe that even though a lot of those showers and thunderstorms are lingering along, I think it is farther away than 10 nautical miles from the flight path. Um, so I think we would be okay. Of course, I don't have radar specifically in front of me right right now, but I think we'd be fine. And the, the good news is uh, a lot of these showers at night follow the warm waters of the Gulf Stream and exactly where Pad 39B is, it's kind of in that sheltered area of the cooler waters. Of course, we are in summer, so a lot of the waters are warm anyway, but it is a little bit of a shelter for the pad. Back corner. Hi, Lauren Gresh with Bloomberg. I'm wondering if you could clarify further those blackout dates you were talking about. I believe yesterday Charlie said there were other opportunities to launch that weren't just the second. Perhaps we misunderstood it. Some of us thought that maybe there was an option to launch during those blackout dates. Can you just confirm that you cannot launch on those dates if we don't launch on Monday? Right now, yeah, the uh, 829 tomorrow is our first opportunity. The next one after that's the second. Between the second and the fifth, there are opportunities available, which I think Charlie was alluding to. And um, for example, if we did not tank, for example, on the second for some reason, we could potentially, like maybe weather, we could potentially come back the next day and try again because that is a day if in fact we got the range and all the other things lined up for us to be able to do that. So there are other dates. If we tank, however, we, we have to take hydrogen to replenish the quantities that we've used, and that doesn't get us to the next day. So it's, it, there's a lot to unpack in all of that, but that would then put us to the fifth because we have to replenish and bring in tankers to replenish our hydrogen. Okay. And we have Marsha and then Irene. Um, Marsha Denny, AP Jeff. Um, five events mean five strikes at the pad. Is that... Uh, Lightning-wise, is that what you meant? Five lightning strikes at the pad. These are the trigger. The uh, these are the uh, recorded. We recorded five events on the monitoring system that we evaluated. Yes. So events meaning strikes. Yes. Got it. Okay. And if and the a, oh. and a strike and Melody can correct me if I'm wrong can produce multiple events because it doesn't. It's not just one stroke. There's a lot of other things that can come off of the individual stroke. Whatever. And if for some reason the engines ignite and then abort, right, um, do you have to replace those engines and uh, uh, obviously roll back into the pad to do that or not? And what kind of a hit would that take um, to do the, whatever you need to do to get back for your next attempt? Yeah, I, the, the plan is to, if in fact there were the case where we had an engine shut down, we would do the normal um, operations to get off the pad and come back to the to the VAB, we would be looking to change out those engines. That's the quickest path uh, to get us back to flight. And the actual amount of days, I, I, I don't want to give you an, ac an actual number. We, I know we have that, so I think we can owe that to you, and then we can get that number. I just don't have it exactly in front of me. Yes. And, and then also we'd have to look at then where we line up with our launch periods because we don't have all days in the months ahead. So there's, there's a lot of things that would be, have to be evaluated once we get to that point. Okay, Irene. Thanks. Um, has NASA already talked to the uh, 45th about um, launch opportunities on the third and the third and fourth and is the sixth in the, in the offing again? So we, we have available days that we have from a vehicle perspective and a mission and performance perspective that we can launch in, and those are the dates that you just alluded to. The range is always um, has to be negotiated. 
just because customers can come on and off the range very quickly, as we see with uh, a lot of the customers that are here. So we would have to have that. We've had conversations to date as about those types of things. I don't have the details and how far or what that would mean uh, for the range, but the range does a great job of supporting us for, for when we've asked for, for support. And, and um, uh, how big is the Artemis launch team compared to Shuttle? And maybe if you can give us a little flavor of what it's like to be on this team with the younger people who may not have been through shuttle launches, um, what, do you, what do you see as like, different and, and what's very much the same? Um, in, in the launch firing room, we have about 90 uh, personnel in there. I think it's 91. But, and then uh, in shuttle, we had over 200 in the, in the launch team. So it, it's quite a different sized team. Uh, the, the firing room layout is different than it was in shuttle. We, we redid that um, uh, coming into this program. So it, it is a little bit different. And um, it actually is a little bit more conducive to the, to the way in which we do the work. So that really helps us out. Uh, the second part of your question was? Uh, just the, the, um, how the how the team is working and what it feels like to be on this team with people who have not been through a shuttle launch or what is very much the same right. um, uh, with shuttle. So, yeah, we, we have a, a, a mix, right? We just still have some folks that have been through shuttle, not as many as we used to, right? Quite a, quite a few less. So that helps to... Uh, to at least try to give some guidance to the to the folks that are coming up from an experience level to give them a flavor of what to expect because they haven't been through it and they they're very wide-eyed and and doing a, again a fantastic job we have some extremely smart people that have come up very quickly through the, the ranks to, to get the positions that they now hold in the firing room uh, doing their launch commit criteria so that part has been really good um, from a team perspective and I, and I think it's, it, to me, it's, it's different, but it's a lot of it is the same. The way in which we run countdowns still is pretty much the same way as what we have in the past. Our expectations are high. The demand on the team is, is also high, but the performance is also extremely high from the people that are in the room. And we have trained and trained to get them to the level at, so that they would be ready to support this launch countdown. And everybody has to have a first one, right? And this is going to be the first for, for a great number of people in that room. Great question. Okay, we have Ken, and then Eric, and then Bill. Sorry. It's up close. Thank you. I'd like to follow up to what I think you just said to the colleague about an ignition abort. You said you have to roll back the rocket if you have an ignition abort and swap out the engines? Uh, why is that? So, as opposed to just evaluating them. There's a number of things that have to, and these engines are very similar to what we had in, 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 in shuttle, as you recall. Um, but there are a lot of number of inspections and other things that have to happen that are intrusive to the engines themselves. Um, and we may still have opportunities to, to do this at the pad, but I don't think that we do, and nor would we want to. Um, but we roll back to do it. It actually takes less time we have other engines that are available for other missions to swap engines out than it does to go back and disassemble them and do the intrusive inspections and then get them back to a, a functional thing through the testing after we put them back together to make sure that we're ready to go and, and use them again. So that's the part that, that happens. Uh, they're reusable engines, but there is, we do make sure that there's no issues or other concerns because we just had a, an engine abort for some reason, right? And so we're going to go back and make sure that we understand exactly what happened and that it's not across all of the, the fleet and those type of things. So, so there's no chance 
that you would just be able to evaluate them and then roll back out without swapping them out. So that that, I probably can't answer that question because I never like to uh, answer absolutes like I just did. So uh, I don't think that uh, I think that I would have to say that we would go back. I didn't get all you that answer. The normal plan would be to go back. You, you don't want to be at the launch pad doing in, that type of work. We're talking about changing out engines and those type of things. Okay, Eric. A couple questions, but uh, first, Melody, you said you talked about the tropics, which could be coming toward Florida as we get a little bit deeper into September and you know fourth, fifth, sixth time period. So I'm, I'm wondering, Jeff, obviously you're in a launch configuration now for the rocket. For, for whatever reason, it doesn't go off tomorrow um, or on the second. How long does it take you to get out of the launch configuration and roll back to the VAB if you're concerned about weather? Uh, it would take us about three and a half days um, to do that. So, you know, and we, we're, we're trying to beat the weather with the work that we have because we do have some constraints as we're doing the roll itself. And we, so we're trying to do that. Plus, we've got we to get off the pad. There's a, a, a fair amount of work to be done, but it's about three and a half days. Bill? Uh, Bill Herbert again. Uh, two very, very uh, quick ones for me. Uh, is there a visual tracking requirement for this launch? In other words, if you were overcast but didn't have rain, is there anything that would keep you from going just because the cameras couldn't see it as it climbs out? Is there any kind of rule like that? And, and uh, Jeff, remember, uh, you know, whenever there's GLS transition, we'd always hear the lady tell us that, you know, and, and who, who is that person for ALS transition that we might hear on the net tomorrow? Um, that's Alex Pandalos. Alex. <clears throat> Perhaps the smartest guy I work with in the firing room, so I say that all the time to him. Um, but yeah, he is our GLS operator that keeps us uh, on pace and, and keeps the, the ground launch sequencer and all the events that are happening there on track. Uh, weather's not tracking any constraint for visual. But, I mean, is there a rule like that for any Artemis, I mean, SLS launch, to be able to visually see the rocket? Uh, the range has requirements on the range safety side to be able to see the rocket during certain portions of the flight. Uh, in addition, we have trackers. We have a lot of other things. So when we say see the rocket, there's a lot of ways in which we can see and track the rocket through through all of these different things. So there's a lot in that question when we, we talk about what that means to see it, but whether it's visual or whether it's other things. But there is a, a visual part. But during the initial part of launch, it's, there's a lot of data that we lose there. And so we have actual observers even that are watching the vehicle in the very first parts of launch um, because you, you lose telemetry and you lose a lot of things when you come off the pad due to the heating and the other things. So. I mean, if you had a heavy overcast, but you didn't have precipitation and there weren't temperature constraints with, in that column, could you still launch? I guess that's what I'm With the cloud at. rules and a lot of other things, and, and Melody's well aware of what those are. Um, yes, we could still launch as far as I'm concerned. And I'll take the last question from the top. Uh, for the non-rocket scientists among us, other than Bill, who I think by now is a rocket scientist, um, can you explain for us uh, if, if you have to abort uh, before you know, you, you've you've go ahead, you've you've loaded all the cryos, and then you have to abort. What's the process for making the vehicle safe? To, for bringing down the liquid hydrogen, how do you how do you deal with liquid oxygen? All of that. So if we make the decision that we we're going to scrub, we can't go because something's not working as it is expected. Right, <clears throat> uh, that decision is made. We would issue a cutoff to the vehicle, which is something that can happen. 
um, automatically in the end when the ground launch sequencers we were just talking about is doing that for us and monitoring all those things inside of 10 minutes. But that would do the initial part of our safing and power down some of our high energy systems if they're powered up. If we haven't gotten inside of 10 minutes, a lot, most of those are already down or haven't been initiated yet. So that, um, that would happen at that point um, if we needed to go and, and work that. But, and then once we get through the initial safing, the rest of it is just configuring the valves for drain. If we've tanked all the way, we're, we're continuing to still fill the tank. We call it replenish um, because it's always boiling off, right? We're, we're losing uh, the liquid uh, hydrogen and oxygen through boil off because it's so cold and no matter how well you insulate it, it's going to continue to boil off and we vent that off. And plus we're bleeding some of the hydrogen off. So we, we have that replenished, so we kind of stop that and then we would start going into drain and initiate our, our vent and drain um, once we've secured and safed all of the systems that, are, that may have been up before, prior to that time. And then we just drain the vehicle and then it's kind of working in reverse. We open the valves and the other way we pressurize and send the commodity back to the tank. Okay, that'll do it. Thank you so much for the questions. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Melody. Again, the launch window opens in less than 24 hours, tomorrow, 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time. So uh, our launch coverage, our live launch broadcast, will begin on NASA TV and our streaming channels at 6.30 a.m. And then for our Spanish audience, you can watch on NASA and Espanol's social media channels starting at 7.30 a.m. I hope you can join us. Thank you.